Hello, welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. And in this hour, we need you, Lord. And so we're grateful that you are here in this place for two or three or more have gathered in your name to bless and to honor you, God, to glorify you and to learn of you, Lord. And so as we hold the word of God breathed out from you in our laps, we pray that you would mold and shape our lives in this time. Father, I don't want to lead anyone astray. I ask that you would help me to rightly divide your word and that we would look at these challenging statements that Jesus makes in this chapter and that we would understand. I pray for an understanding of all of our hearts today, Lord. These are not complicated, but challenging things, God. So help us lift our eyes to you, that we may see you, that we may glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we see yeah, how we started chapter six last week. And, and those of you that have been in church for a while or have read the Bible a few times, you know the stories. Oh, yeah, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Oh, yeah, he walks on water. And, and we can just kind of breeze through those things. But I said, well, let's pause for a minute and let's actually put our feet in the sandals of the people that were there. Let's consider the disciples as they're rowing across the, 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 the sea there and they're not getting very far. They're struggling and they look out over the bow and all of a sudden somebody's walking toward them, right? That's when I did the whole shaggy impersonation. My, that's all I got, my best impersonation. I won't bother you with that again for at least three or four months. But um, so... <sighs> This wasn't common to them in that moment. That, that Jesus would feed 5,000 people with a Lunchable was, was not common. They didn't expect it. They didn't know that it was coming, and then they were flabbergasted by it. They didn't expect Him to come walking on the water. And so what we gleaned from our time together last week, I believe, is especially as we saw the last miracle, when Jesus got into the boat, immediately they were on the shore. And, and oftentimes we overlook that because he walked on water. And we know that whole story. But as he steps in the boat, they row one more time and all of a sudden they're exactly where they needed to be. And what I said was that Jesus delivers us from our futility. That as Christ followers, as you and I have devoted our lives to following Christ, there is no more futility. We, we, We don't spend our lives spinning our wheels. Now there's times we're not going very far and not going very fast, but even in those moments, even in the trials and even in the difficulties, God is molding and shaping us. And so our lives are not futile. There's always a purpose and there's always a plan for where God would have us. And so he's continually molding and shaping us. God delivers us from our fear and our futility. That's kind of what we pulled away from last week. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 22. And just so you know, maybe you've read ahead. I don't know if you're that person or not. This is going to get weird. This this chapter is, is I don't want to say bizarre, but it's, there's some strong words that Jesus says here. And, and some things that, if, 
I hope we all under, can understand as we walk away from it. I think we'll be able to tie it together relatively well. But this is get, let's get our thinking caps on. Let's set our minds on the spiritual and, and, and absorb what Christ would have to say to us. John chapter 6, verse 22. It says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. It's now that verse 23 is kind of parenthetical. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Now, I like this. I like this Jesus because what we see here is as He goes to the other side, they end up in Capernaum. Everybody's looking around. Well, where did Jesus go? I don't know. Oh, He's over there. Let's jump in a boat. They go over. They go to seek Him. They get there and they're hanging out with Jesus. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Um, when did you get here? And Jesus evidently didn't read the whatever it is, how to win friends and influence people because He doesn't even bother answering their question. It's... It's not about making friends for Jesus. He's, he's not really interested in how many Twitter followers he has. He's about the will of the Father. And he doesn't answer, when did you get here? He doesn't bother with that question at all. He kind of pierces their heart and says, you know what? You're just following me because I gave you bread yesterday. You're, you're hoping that Jesus, the vending machine, will spill out some more bread because you're hungry again. It's not because of the signs that you've seen. How many of us do that? Well, I'm a little low on the Jesus juice today. I'm a little, I don't feel the Spirit as much, so now I'll go to God. All right, Lord, pour out your vending machine. God meets our needs, don't get me wrong. And even in the physical, He meets our needs. But Jesus is saying, you guys aren't coming to me the right way. This isn't, this isn't, we understand that in the physical, we're never satisfied. You get that, right? In the, in the physical, in the here and now, in, the, in, in this life, we're never satisfied with what we have. I stuffed myself at three holidays this year. I mean, crammed it in. I told you, I wore the elastic waistband just so that we could, I could eat all the more for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, and for New Year's. I ate well. I think I've gained like 15 pounds in the past six weeks, which is good because it's going to be negative 12 on Tuesday morning. And fat people aren't going to complain so much. <laughs> They're well insulated. I, I think I've done okay. But after those meals, I got hungry again. Our, our bodies, we can't get enough food. We can't get enough to drink. We can't get enough sex. We can't get enough money. We can't get enough. We're always hungry again in the physical. And Jesus they come to him looking for some more bread. Uh, and he's saying, no, 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 that's not what this is all about. And what he's going to try to do over the next few verses is kind of elevate their thinking. 
change their perspective, hoping to get their eyes off of the physical and onto the eternal, onto the, 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 the spiritual, as it were. And you and I need to do that as well because we need to consider, we need to maintain an eternal perspective. We have, what, 80 years here, maybe? Some less, some more, just by a little bit. All of our days are numbered. Every, every one of us have a specific number of days. We don't know when that... You could go out and today's your last day. You don't know. But it's, that's it as far as the, the physical goes. And then we're with Him in, 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 in heaven and we're with Him forever. And forever is a long time. Forever is eternity. We have far longer in the eternity, in the, in the spiritual, than we do in the physical. Why do we labor so much to satisfy the needs of the physical when they're just temporary? Why do we struggle with the afflictions that we have so much when they're just temporary? Paul calls them the light and momentary afflictions when compared to the eternal weight of glory. Randy Alcorn, he's one of my favorite authors. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. I strongly encourage you. He writes fiction and nonfiction books. Wonderful stuff. The name of his ministry is Eternal Perspectives Ministries. And he wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. And I've shared this with you before, but I want to continue to drive the point because I'm not sure I get it. But we need to remember that everything we own ends up in the junkyard that the house you're living in now will one day no longer be there, that the car you drive is going to end up a bucket of rust. Why do we pursue so hard after Him? Jesus is trying to elevate their thinking to the, the spiritual. He's not even bothering. When did you get here? He doesn't bother to answer that. So verse 28. Maybe they're starting to get it a little bit. Maybe. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now that would be the response, I think, as Jesus poses this statement, do not labor for the food which perishes for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. The, the, the question would then be, how do I get that? What do I need to do? What? Give me a list so I can check them off and accomplish these things, Jesus. And we do that as well, don't we? Uh, just tell me what I can do and what I can't do. How close to the line of sin can I dance? Where, where do I need to be? What's the will? The rich young ruler did it. It's common. What do I need to do? Watch Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said to him, this is the work. What do you need to do? This is the work of God. That you believe in Him who He sent. That's it. That's it. You don't do anything. You don't, you don't, there's not a checklist for you to accomplish. It's merely believing in Him who He sent. Believing in Jesus. It's trusting in, it's believing in what, that what Jesus has done for us is enough. That I don't have to accomplish anything in and of myself. That I rest in what Christ has accomplished for me through the cross. Now, does that excuse you and I from working? Does that mean we get to kick back in the barca lounger and just wait for Jesus to return, drinking our beverage of choice? No. We're called to works. Ephesians 2.10, God has created us for good works. Uh, James would say that faith without works is dead. Here's what it does, though. 
if we rest in what Jesus has done on our behalf, then our works become a response to that. It's no longer about, let me do this and this and this so that I can gain the favor of God. It's, I see what God has done on my behalf, so now I'll live my life to bring Him praise. And you see, then everything we do is a response to what Christ has done for us. Guys, what's that called? That's worship. Everything we do becomes a response to what He's done for us. That's worship. That's giving Him our lives in praise. That's the proper perspective. We have a foundation of faith, and on that foundation we place our works, bringing Him glory. What do I do? Believe. Believe. Rest in Him. That's where He's at. They were looking for a formula on how to come to God. He is wanting a relationship with them. Therefore they said to Him, verse 30, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? They, they almost got off the ground there for a second. They were, they were getting close to lifting their eyes to the spiritual. Back down on the ground. What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He, He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they say, oh, Jesus, you're, you're claiming to try, we're, we're, we're called to believe in you. Demonstrate for us why we should believe in you. Show me a sign that tells me they didn't have the faith yet. Their, their eyes hadn't been lifted to the spiritual. They haven't gotten off of the here and now. They weren't considering the eternal perspective. They, they lift, they crashed and burned yet again. What sign must we do? They were lacking their faith. They still want the provision for the physical. Moses gave us bread to eat. What are you going to give us, Jesus? Still thinking in the physical. And Jesus is trying to elevate. He's trying to explain. You'll be hungry again in the physical. But in the spiritual, sustenance is found in Him who He sent, which of course is Christ. Then they said to him, verse 34, Lord, give us this bread always. Hey, are they getting it? Are they, are they starting to figure it out? Is the, is the plane taking off here? Lord, give us this bread always then. Or is it more like the woman at the well? Who when Jesus said, come to me and I will give you water that you would never thirst again. You remember what her response was? Well, show me how to get this water so that I don't have to come here to draw. And see, her eyes were purely on the physical to say, no, I just, I just don't want to be thirsty again. I'm, I'm ashamed that I have to come here in the middle of the day. If you're making a way that I don't have to come here anymore, take care of the physical need, then show me what that is. And I think that's what these guys are thinking like. Oh, you mean we wouldn't have to go to the store to get bread again? Show me where I can get that. They, the plane's not really taken off yet. Their eyes aren't, aren't being lifted yet. And it's kind of sad. And Jesus said to them, and here it comes, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all of, he, uh, that all, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. There is so much there. I don't know if you want to put brackets around that 35 to 40, but there is so much there. And we're just going to take it verse by verse for just a few minutes and kind of tear it apart because it's so rich. First thing he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Now, if you and I were to say that, it would be absolutely false. But he is the one who is able to say that. I am the bread of life. We said that the book of John was centered around these eight statements. The I am statements. The ego ami is, is the, what it is in the original language. I am. And we get that title of God from the experience that Moses had at the burning bush when Moses said, who are you that I may tell the Israelites that you have sent me? And God said, I am. Ego ami. Now, Jesus, being the Son of God, and we, we talked about how that all fits in John chapter 5, he made that defense. He is proclaiming that. He is taking that title in and of himself. And he adds these little statements after each one. Ego ami, I am, and this time it's the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the door. Those, those statements throughout the book of John. I am Everything is found in me is what that statement means. You can find all that you need in me. I am, and here specifically, the bread of life. I am the sustainer of life. Bread is what keeps you and I going. I'm a, I like carbs. You guys like carbs? Yeah, I like carbs a lot. Carbs and meat, I'd be happy. Forget that fruits and vegetable junk. The carbs and meat, I'd be happy. But... The, Bread is what sustains us. Bread meaning all of food, I believe. And, and what, what he is saying in this moment is as, as Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he says, I am the sustainer. I am the one that meets your needs. I am the one that provides all that you need. And certainly speaking in, yes, in the physical, but he's trying to elevate their thinking to that, off of that, rather, to the spiritual. I am, I meet your needs in the spiritual. He says, he, uh, who comes to me, I like that. Pause there for a second. He who comes to me there in the middle of the, verse 35, that's an invitation. That's, he's reaching out to you and I through the scripture. He who comes to me. That's all it takes. He who believes, he who comes, we come to God. And there is the invitation to come just as we are in verse 35. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. He meets all of our needs. Specifically in the spiritual, because that's what this chapter is about. But I would encourage you to say he also meets our physical needs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, one of my favorite verses. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what are these things? These things are the, the, the physical things that he was talking about in the rest of the chapter 6. All these things will be added unto you. God will take care of our physical needs as we seek him first. He, he will never hunger or thirst those that, that believe. So verse 36, it says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. That's a warning for you and I. 
that there is a possibility that we can see Jesus and not end up believing. The statement we would say, the way we would say it today is, you know that going to church doesn't make you a Christian, right? It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's like standing in McDonald's doesn't make you a cheeseburger. Standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. He, what, he, what he's saying there is it's possible to see Jesus and not believe. As they were looking at Jesus, what they were looking for was their Messiah to fit into the specific mold that they had created in their minds. And Jesus said, that's not the, the, the will of the Father. That's not what God has called me to be. They wanted to, the, him to elevate the nation of Israel uh, and, and bring them out from under the oppression of Rome. And Jesus said, that's not a big enough vision for my life. I'm not going to pull you out of the oppression of Rome. I'm not just going to cure you from that. I'm going to cure you from sin and death. I'm going to deliver you from sin and death. And so he wasn't dancing their jig or fitting their mold. Verse 37. This is a good one. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Maybe you need to hear that. Maybe I need to hear that. Maybe we need to remind ourselves of that because, and we don't talk about this a whole lot, but you and I, as we are followers of Christ, have a very real adversary. The devil. The, the accuser. The one that would want us to render us ineffective for his kingdom and for his glory. And at times, if we're open and honest, if we just admit it, we, you've heard that voice. You don't. You can't go to Jesus. You're not good enough. If if you try to go to Jesus, he's just gonna he's gonna spit you out because you're lukewarm, or he's gonna cast you away. Don't don't even waste his time. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We stand on the truth of God. And verse thirty eight says, "I will by no means cast anyone out that comes to me." Jesus says, everybody come. All are welcome. All who come to me, I will keep them. That's such a blessing. Find peace in that. And when our adversary would try to dissuade us from that, remind him of that truth. No, Jesus will not cast me out. Verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I love that. And we've talked about this. John has brought this up a few times. Jesus lives a surrendered life to the will of the Father. And Jesus is our example. That's what you and I are called to do as well. To open our hearts, to open our lives, and simply say, God, it's no longer about me and my kingdom. I'm setting those things aside. I want in my life your will to be accomplished. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life. And that's living a surrendered life. The example we have is Jesus. And we see it there in verse 38. 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me that all, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Jesus never fails. He will not lose one of us. We rest assured in steady hands because Jesus accomplishes the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that He would not lose any one of us. And so we rest in His hand. How do we do that? Verse 40, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. 
and I will raise him up at the last day. It's not just about the here and now. It's not just about the momentary. It's not just about the physical. They will have everlasting life. Verse 41. Then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? So as he tries, he's trying to elevate their thinking to the spiritual and they're almost there and they kind of get it and they, they're starting to take that first step and all of a sudden, crash. And they start thinking about the situation. They look at Jesus and they're like, Dude, he's hung out with us his whole life. He, he's, been, he's the carpenter's son. We know this guy. How could he be the bread of life? How is he the one who came down from the Father or from heaven? They ask the question. We know his father and mother, do they? They think his father is Joseph. Now, Joseph certainly adopted him into his family. But they don't know the father. If they did, they would know the son. And so, once again, they're back down to the temporary, the, the, the here and now life. They're not understanding. Jesus therefore answered them and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I like that verse, verse 44. You know why? It removes the onus from me in my evangelism. Now, it doesn't remove the the necessity of me to evangelize. But what it does is it places the success rate of my evangelism not on me, but on the Father. Because He's the one who draws. And so I don't have to worry about whether or not somebody comes to Christ as I evangelize. I hope for that. Don't get me wrong. I hope for that as I share the good news. But the success is not up to me or not because it's not me who draws. It's not based on what I say. The Father is the one who draws, and so the onus is on Him. He will draw whom He will. We're called to evangelize. Our success is whether or not we do that. It's not based on how many converts you and I get. We're called to evangelize. We're called to be bold. And I think when we understand that, hey, it's not up to me. It's up to who God draws. I think we can be bold. Because we're not worried about the success rate of it. Or what we deem the success rate of it. We just simply speak the good news. The gospel of Jesus. Hey, my life has been changed because of what Jesus has done. Can I tell you about him? No? Okay, have a nice day. Evidently, the Father wasn't drawing that one right now. There may come a time in that person's life when they will. But right now, okay, I'll move on to the next person. Success is in Him. It gives us greater confidence in our evangelism because no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Verse 44. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from me, the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father, or speaking of himself. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I don't think it can get any simpler than that. That's John 3.16 restated. 
He who believes in me has everlasting life. Get your eyes off of this 80 years that you've been given or however long it is and consider the eternal and how long you will be there. They used to do a trick, and uh, not really a trick, but just a, a visual perspective in youth groups. I don't know if they still do it anymore, but they, were, they, they would hand out a 50-foot length of rope and you'd pass the length of rope all the way around. You'd stretch it all the way around the room and then you would take a paper clip and you'd set it somewhere on the rope. And, and, and what the idea was is the rope is eternity, of course, which has no end, but the rope did. The rope is eternity, and the paperclip is your life. That's your 80 years, is that little spot. And so we have a timeline here, and in this 80 years, the, the width of a paperclip, that's your life. To help us understand the perspective of eternity. And Jesus is saying, I want to give you that eternity. I want to give you that eternal life. Believe in me. Believe in me. Set your eyes on him. All right, now it gets strong. I am the bread of life, he says in verse 48. The ego a me statement again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Once again, the Facebook count, friend count, goes down a few notches. Oh, you want to rely on Moses and what he did for you? Well, let's take a look at that. Yes, they got the, the manna from heaven, which really Moses didn't really give them. That was provided by my father. But where are they now? Oh, they're in the grave. Your dad is dead. Your dads are dead. You really can't rest in that is what Jesus is saying. Verse 50. He gets stronger. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. You want to know how? I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Therefore the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Told you. If we're just set on the physical here, guys, this ain't going to make a whole lot of sense. Now he's saying, I'm the bread of life, and the bread of life, the bread that I bring is my flesh. And you can see it in the Jews. What is he talking about? How could... We're supposed to... Uh, we're, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For My flesh is food indeed, and My blood is drink indeed. He who eats My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me, and I in him. Wow. Now, if we are just thinking on the physical and you read that, you're going to go, dude, that's gross. You want me to eat your flesh and drink your blood? What, zombie apocalypse? What's going on here? No. Jesus is trying to elevate their thinking. And we'll kind of divide or break this down as to what it means. And I think most of you could kind of get that, but... If we're just thinking on the, the here and now, if we're just thinking in the physical, it makes no sense at all. I'm supposed to eat your flesh and drink your blood. But if we elevate our thinking to that of the spiritual, it makes all the sense in the world. 
Okay. Verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. Reminder. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So then the crowds kind of go away. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? (laughs) I like that. The disciples, they pulled Jesus aside. Um, Jesus, did you hear what you just said? Because that's that's a hard saying. Who can understand it? Um, we need to figure out a way to spin this so that you know we don't lose these people because we got a good thing going on. And if we lose these people, um, Ju- uh, Judas is going to get upset because the treasury is going to go down. And we got to figure out how to make this right. Uh, Jesus, um, wh- what are we going to do? And Jesus says. There's the door. Oh, does this offend you? There's the door. That's basically what he's saying. You can't figure this out? Maybe the Father's not drawing you. Now, that's not what happens here. Watch. Well, it does, actually, with some. Does this offend you? Verse 62, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where He was before? If this is offending you, that you would eat My blood and drink My flesh, what's going to happen when I go back to heaven? That's going to blow your mind. Jesus is aware of the end of His life even now. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Oh, if we would get a hold of that. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some who of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray Him. And He said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted to Him by My Father. Verse 66, From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. This is a dividing line. Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if that's offensive to you, there's the door. That's what Jesus is saying. And some people took the door. And that's sad. That breaks my heart. That they couldn't elevate their thinking to that of the eternal. And I think it's very appropriate that that verse is chapter 6, verse 66. 666. Because that is the heart of Satan, that people would leave Christ. That they would never come to Him. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. Now, is He speaking of the twelve? No, because He's going to talk to just the twelve. These were the ones that had come to Him and were kind of following Him because, hey, they were now and again they were getting a free meal. Or they were seeing a miracle, or they, they kind of liked the trick and the dog and pony show, and so they're going to follow Jesus. Jesus draws a line in the sand. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Who's with me? Uh, I think I better go home. That's sad. Because they weren't able to get their mind off the temporary. Because they did not believe, they walked away. So now Jesus addresses the twelve, verse 67. Then Jesus said to the twelve, 
do you also want to go away? He's giving them an opportunity. Hey, the door's open. You want to leave too? Go for it. Like I said, Jesus isn't about winning friends. He wants to accomplish the will of the Father. And He gives them an opportunity to leave. Thankfully, none of them do. Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of not just life. You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I love Peter. I identify with Peter. I think I, I don't know exactly what he looked like. In all the movies, he's pictured as kind of a big guy, you know, kind of big and dumb. <laughs> so I get that. <laughs> I, I always envision, I don't know, you guys watch Deadliest Catch? You don't have to admit it, it's, but if you've ever seen it, I think Peter would look like Phil. You guys remember Phil, the guy that passed away what, a couple of years ago? I think that's Peter. I think Peter, had he been, he was a fisherman. He'd be on a boat. He was on a boat 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The only thing he ever drank was coffee, right? And then he smoked cigarettes continuously. That was his meals. And, and I don't know that Peter was a chain smoker. I'm not trying to go there either. Just get the picture. He's a rough guy. And Phil, you know, very often would say things that would leave him lacking, putting his foot in his mouth all the time. That's Peter. Peter does that all the time. Does stupid things. Says stupid things. But every once in a while, just like Captain Phil, Peter has got a nugget of truth. He's got, oh, Peter, you got the plane off the ground, boy. Your eyes are elevated to that of the eternal. Good job. boy, Peter. Jesus says, you guys want to leave too? Peter says, where would we go? Jesus, you're, you're it. You're all we got. You're, you're, your words are the words of eternal life. His eyes are elevated to that of the spiritual. Right on, Peter. Now he'll screw it up in just a couple of chapters. You know, he'll, he'll mess it up again. But he's got it at this moment. Attaboy. In verse 70, Jesus almost... Uh, gives him an accolade, but then not so much. Verse 70, Jesus answered and said to them, did I not choose you? It's almost almost like, hey, yeah, you got it right, Peter. Did I not choose you, the twelve? Oh, and one of you is a devil. <laughs> oh, he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him being one of the twelve. Now, I'd like to talk, spend the next 20 minutes talking about that and what that possibly means, but homework, if you'd like, consider that. Jesus says, I chose the twelve. One of them was a devil. And I chose it. Just consider that for a time. Right now, we're headed toward the communion table. And what I want us to glean from this, I hope you get it, is that our lives are not to merely be about the here and now, the momentary, the present life, the physical life, that we're to elevate our thinking and our lifestyle, setting our affections on Him, the One who is eternal. And in Him, we have the eternal life. We should see that through this chapter that the Father draws us. He's the one that calls. He's the one that reaches out. Through Jesus, we have the invitation to come just as we are. He says, all who come. And that's what we have as we come to the table now is an invitation to come just as we are. To eat of His flesh and to drink of His blood. What in the world is all that about? 
Well, here's what it is. God is calling us to ingest, to bring into our lives what Christ has done on our behalf. He says, I am the bread of life. And as he broke the bread there at the Passover meal, he lifted it up and he gave thanks and he broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. And we ingest that. Yeah, Lord, you did. You died for me. You broke your body that I might have an unbroken life. And this is my blood as He raised the cup, poured out for the remission of sin. We ingest that. Yeah, Lord, Your blood is sufficient. I rest in it. It's not based on my merit. It's not based on the things that I do. It's not based on what what I have done. It's based on what You have done for me. John Corson gave the analogy, if you took Consider the way bread is made. You have a seed. You plant that seed in the ground. That You water that seed. That seed grows. It produces a fruit. That fruit you harvest. At the harvest point, you grind it. You mold it together. You pass it through the fire. Then you are able to ingest it. Same is true with the life of Christ. He is the seed that has been planted for us. And, 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 and as He was raised, He came to produce a fruit. And in that fruit, He was harvested at the end of His life. And in the, in the end of His life, His life was ground, passed through the fire in death, that you and I might have sustenance, that you and I might have life. John Guzik, or uh, David Guzik, one of my favorite uh, commentators, kind of tore it apart this way. Jesus is worthy of our confidence because He perfectly satisfies our spiritual hunger. He perfectly satisfies our spiritual hunger. He who comes to Me shall never hunger, He said. He receives all who come to Him. All that the Father gives Me will come to Me. The one who comes to Me I will by no means cast out, He said. He isn't interested in His own agenda, but the will of the Father. Not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me, He said. He will keep those who come to Him safe. All He has given me, I should lose nothing. And the destiny of those who believe in Him is eternal life. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. As we come to the table now, let us ingest what He has done for us. A body broken and blood shed that we might have forgiveness. I'm going to ask the guys to come forward. We won't have any music playing right now. We're just going to be quiet. Just take the elements, hold them, pray. The Word in Corinthians would tell us to examine ourselves that we would not take this in an unworthy manner. So we'll just take a few minutes to do that. And Jesus, as your body was broken and your blood was shed that we might have everlasting life, I pray that we would rest in that. And then as we rest in that, we would rise from that to work for you, God, to live, to bring you honor and glory. But it wouldn't be so that we gain favor from you. It would be in response to what you have done for us, that our lives would be living sacrifices before you. Our lives would be lives of worship to you, O oh God. 
Lord, I'm so grateful for these people and this church, God, that you molded us together. Use us for your glory. We are instruments in your hands available to what you would call us to do. May we hear your still small voice. May we pursue you wholeheartedly. May our passion be for you, O oh God. May we express with our lives that we love you because we see that you love us. And so we bring you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.